the World Economic Forum on Africa kicked off in Durban. Uh, today's program was packed with panel discussions, debates and forums dealing with a whole lot of issues um, uh, about the African continent, the economy and leadership. Now, one of the discussions, leadership in the era of disruption, looked at how African leaders can respond or better respond to the challenges the continent faces with the upsurge in civil protests, terrorism and the evolving dynamics between Africa and the global economic powers. Lindiwe Mazibugo, remember her, former Democratic Alliance leader in Parliament, and uh, she is now the World Economic Forum Young Global Leader. She joins us on the line from Durban. It's so nice to have you home. Good afternoon to you, Lindiwe. Welcome. Hi, Reedy. It's wonderful to be back in Durban. Wonderful indeed. And that is your hometown, actually, isn't it? It is, exa- it is executively my hometown, exactly. so I'm having the greatest week ever. <laughs> oh, that's just wonderful. But let's just talk about your message. You are, and it's no accident that you are a World Economic Forum young global leader. There's often a debate about uh, the average age of African presidents or prime ministers and how that mm. in a way is symbolic of uh, the, 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 the policies that they embrace, uh, the way they do business, the way they engage mm. with with society. What was the essence of your message with the title Leadership in the Era of Disruption? So we were having a conversation about how um, all of these shocks to the, to the African economy, uh, to African societies and to African democracies like terrorism, uh, like a mass civic action, uh, like the fall in commodities prices, um, are posing a challenge for Africa's existing leadership. And what the question was, what do Africa's leaders need to do to respond to these shocks in a responsible way that will be able to take the continent forward? And I made the case for the fact that um, we've been having these conversations for many years now. In fact, certainly in South Africa, we have experience of good quality policies that have been sitting on the table for many, many years not being implemented. And the reason they aren't implemented is because the wrong leaders are in the job. Mm-hmm. And we're not having enough conversations about what kind of leaders it takes to make our continent a success. We talk a lot about what policies we need, what interventions we need. We could all recite them, you know, policies about electrification, um, about education and skills development. But what we don't talk enough about is why the leaders we have now have failed to implement these policies and what we need to do to replace them. So, you know, I tried to kickstart a conversation about what the nature of leadership is in Africa, why we only focus on business and government, and we don't talk more about leadership in society. And then, of course, to talk about what we can do in a structured, organized fashion to put programs and institutions and policies in place to grow a new cohort of leaders, public service leaders, business leaders. How can we succession plan for the future that that, that Africa can be prepared for things like the fourth industrial revolution? Because the current crop of leaders have failed to address these challenges. Why do you think that is, Lindue? Why have they failed to address these challenges? Because I think they will come up with all sorts of uh, excuses about the global economy, about how uh, the West continues to dominate uh, geopolitics, all sorts of reasons. But are you suggesting that the solutions are here at home? Absolutely. And, you know, really, I try not to fetishize youth. First of all, because I won't be young forever but also because youth is not the answer to all of our problems. But I do believe very firmly from my own experience in public service that in Africa in particular, where there's an average age gap between the leaders and the led of 44 years, we have leaders who are still talking in terms of Cold War paradigms, who talk about the role of the state 
and capitalism versus socialism and who think industrial policy is about factories and smokestacks and who haven't reckoned with the fact that if we don't start to create skilled young people who are ready for the knowledge economy, we're going to soon be hit by waves of unemployment um, and jobs that instead of moving from East Asia to Africa, move from East Asia into mechanized factories back in the United States and in Europe where the capital resides. So I think we have leaders who are still trapped in debates about the past, mostly because there were political leaders and leaders in society in that past. You know, that's, that's what that age gap speaks to. And if you're still thinking about solutions to challenges of today in terms of the frameworks of yesterday, you are not prepared for the fourth industrial revolution. You are not prepared for mechanization or the challenges of the new world of work or the new ways in which politics are done today, given the technological advances we've made in communication and the reality of globalization. So I think just in generational terms, many of our leaders are ill-equipped. To, to, to tackle these issues. And look, this is a huge generaliz- generalization. Mm-hmm. And, I, and again, I try not to fetishize youth, but in a continent that is this young, where the average African is a 19-year-old woman, but we have 10 elder statesmen presidents who are in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, it's a problem. And it's just not possible to argue that the people who are solving problems in the 70s are going to be the same people who can take us through these challenges that we're going to face um, as we move through the 21st century. So mm. I'm making the case for a kind of leadership today that is capable of preparing for the future, of succession planning, of nurturing and inculcating leadership in a new generation, but also is able to move leadership to a whole different demographic of people, so that women, uh, people from rural communities, people from civil society, from religious communities, can also take up leadership roles and that we don't always look to the same people for answers to these questions. Yeah. Because if we have come this far and not solved these problems, then the people who are given the task of solving are the wrong people. Uh, you know, what, what stands out for me, Lindiwe, is this gap between expectation and reality. We talk about this being the youthful continent. We talk about how the continent uh, uh, and the East really represent new areas of growth. But the question is, are we maximizing those opportunities given, given the level of inequality in, in, in our many different countries? And my sense is that it does start with good governance. I wonder whether is this something that African leaders are willing to take head on? But also, Lindy, to throw in another question of some sort of tension or paradox. If you look at a country like Rwanda, you can very proudly and easily say, here's an example of a country that is punching above its weight and rising after a period of adversity. But someone can throw a very valid point that there is an erosion of democratic principles in Rwanda. So do we jettison uh, democracy? Not jettison, but is is there a, 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 a tension, a conflict? Are the two mutually exclusive between democratic principles and uh, uh, pursuing a, a growth trajectory? Well, you know, to answer your second question, I don't believe, you know, I think one of the hangovers of the old way of doing politics and doing government is this false dichotomy, this false debate between development and freedom. This notion that because one leader in Singapore running a city-state as a kind of an undemocratic place because one leader in Rwanda running a very small country of a very small economic base um, has extended his constitutional term of the presidency for 27 years and has had successes economically and socially 
that can be applied to everybody on the continent or to everybody in the developing world or to everybody in the East, I think is incredibly short-sighted. You know, uh, the president of Senegal, Macky Sall, says this over and over again. We don't have to choose between democracy and development. It's a false choice. And it's a false choice created by people who want power without accountability. If we can't hold our leaders accountable, how can we be sure that those changes in development are for the betterment of the people and not for the enrichment of the few? And, you know, really, this leads me to my second point, which is that a lot of the growth that's taken place on the continent over the past 10 or so years since 2000 um, that was driven by the commodities price is now falling away because of the fall in the oil price and in the prices of other commodities and because of things like crises in the industry. And it's exposing the fact that inequality on the continent is very often and primarily driven by um, the fact that our wealth comes from very limited sources and the people who run um, and who are in charge of those particular in- industries are very few. So once the, the high prices recede and we can no longer rely on commodities for income and for GDP, we expose the fact that our young people are not adequately educated to pursue the knowledge economy, to start businesses, to prepare for the future, and that as countries we have depended on the prices of exports to support mm. um, our national products. And I think that's also a leadership failure. Uh, and, you know, one of the good things about the fall in the oil prices that we can see, you know, this, this is exposed for the first time and we can finally understand uh, how little progress we made, even though we talked about Africa rising, even though we talked about boom years, we were actually not doing the foundational work necessary to prepare young people for the, the economic future. And so that gives us an opportunity to reverse that. But to rely on the same people who mm. sat and, and waited for oil prices to bring in revenue and use that as a platform upon which to govern, to ask those same people to now pivot in an environment where, you know, oil prices change, they fluctuate. How is it that our leaders have not prepared for this? Commodities prices are not static. They change. We've had many oil crises in the 70s uh, and beyond. You know, it's, 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 it's a matter of fact that you cannot reply, rely on commodities for your economic stability. You have no, to sure. diversify your economy. You have to educate your people for the changing world. So why is it that after generations, our leaders haven't done this, and yet we're asking these same leaders to now suddenly find new answers to these questions? Indeed. That's why my faith in this kind of development versus democracy argument that says, you know, a visionary leader must be given all the power he or she wants to do whatever he or she wants because that will accelerate development. Well, I don't think that's possible if there's no accountability. And so we shouldn't have to choose between the two. I think it's perfectly acceptable for us to have both democracy and development, to have development and freedom. Indeed. Well, Lindy, I'm going to let you go, but uh, we never spoke since you graduated. Uh, Congratulations on that. What are you up to now? Um, Thanks very much, Rudy. I'm working on a couple of projects, including... um, an advisory role that I've taken up in an organization that's trying to solve this very question. How do we build a cohort of competent public service leaders on the African continent? And one of the wonderful things about this meeting is I'm having engagements with people who have had this question for a long time but haven't had an opportunity to think through with you know, thought partners and other organizations what the mechanics of solving this challenge would be. Um, so that's what I'm seized with at the moment. Uh, and then, of course, I'm a very active member of the World Economic Forum community. I work with them extensively. I travel extensively with them as well. Um, and I'm sort of making decisions about what role I want to play in the future of my country and of my continent. Lovely chatting to you, Lindy.
Lovely to chat to you too, Reedy. Thank you very much. World Economic Forum Young Global Leader and former Democratic Alliance Leader in Parliament. Well, I didn't hear her throughout her tenure in Parliament saying to people, come, challenge us, we're waiting for you. We'll show you who's boss and all the other nonsense. Let the rand fall. We'll pick it up. And what else do these clever people uh, like saying? This is the kind of young leader, future leader we need. Never mind the politics. We can disagree on the politics. We can disagree on the essence of policy. But the nature and quality of engagement, that is a good start. But when people are threatening shamboks and uh, veterans who were born in 1990, then you know that we are in trouble and we should be unlocking our potential rather than being trapped in these banal uh, uh, conversations that don't take us anywhere.